You are listening to Voces, a Jolt Action political podcast. Jolt Action is the largest Latinx civic engagement organization in Texas, building a movement of young Latinx to transform the Lone Star State. Bienvenidos. Mi nombre es Antonio Arellano, and on today's episode of Voces, we are talking about the transformative impact of organizing. To talk about the work that has been done to empower Latinos in America and the road ahead, I am joined by an American labor leader and civil rights activist who co-founded the National Farm Workers Association, which later became the United Farm Workers. Over her lifetime, she has received numerous awards for her community service and advocacy for workers, immigrants, and women's rights, including the United States Presidential Eleanor Roosevelt Award for Human Rights and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She is the first Latina indicted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993 and is the originator of the phrase, Si se puede. I am talking about the incomparable Dolores Huerta. Dolores, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's so good to connect with you again. I'm so happy that you made time to join us today on Voces. You are a trailblazing Latina and we owe so much of the transformation of America to you. And as you see the changes that our society has made over the years, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing the Latino community today? Oh, there are so many. Uh, all of the challenges that we see facing our Black brothers and sisters are the same ones uh, that Latinos are also facing. Um, we know that, uh, like in my, my foundation, the Dolores Huerta Foundation, uh, we are organizing against uh, the school-to-prison pipeline. We see that throughout the whole United States of America, our Latino students are not getting the equitable education that they deserve. And a, a shocking statistic. Even though uh, we have growing numbers and we are the biggest, as you know, the biggest minority in the United States of America right now, the number of teachers that speak Spanish that are bilingual is only 2%. 2% of all of the teachers in the United States of America. Uh, we have, as you know, the ongoing discrimination against the Latino community. Uh, we have the issues of people that are uh, coming to the border. And that, of course, also impacts on us also, uh, people that are coming from Central America and from Mexico. And we know that the United States is a very, very big place. Definitely could accommodate a lot more refugees than what we're doing. My own granddaughter, Annalisa Huerta, is an attorney that helps asylum seekers here uh, in California. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, in terms of educating future generations, and even the, the current generation about the contributions of Latinos uh, to uh, this great country, the United States of America. And I love to say to people, look at a map of the United States before 1848. And what you will see, is, and it's always a shocker, one third of the United States was Mexico. So when they tell us to go back to go back where we came from, we can say, hey, we are where we came from because guess what? We were here before the United States was the United States of America. And, and this applies not only to, I think, people from Mexico. It applies to all of the indigenous people of North America and South America because this is literally our continent. This is where we are from. And when we think of who are the immigrants to the United States, hey, it's the immigrants that came from Europe. They are the true immigrants. And they, of course, assimilated, uh, became uh, citizens of the United States of America, and now they think that they own it. <laughs> and so when we see our other brothers and sisters that are coming and seeking refuge here uh, from their own land, uh, you might say, hey, they belong here, and uh, we shouldn't say to them, 
go back where you came from because guess what? We are where we came from. <laughs> I love that. I love that mentality. And you're absolutely right. The challenges that we face from the school to prison pipeline, education limitations, discrimination, and immigration have been ongoing fights that this country has been grappling with for a couple of years. But you talk specifically about immigration and you talk about how this country was, you know, prides itself in being a nation of immigrants, but often is the case that we are seen as second-class citizens or less than. And that's, I know, a battle that you know very personally to try to bring equity and equality to the Latino community in America. Are you hopeful about change being possible to really eradicate discrimination and racism towards immigrants in this country? Well, I think we are in that moment right now, the critical, critical moment here in the United States of America where racism is finally being identified and called out. We literally can identify people if they are racist or they're not racist. It's like Al, Al Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton says, they took off the hoods, like the KKK hoods, and they put on the suits. But now, by their words and by their actions, we can identify who they are and we can call them out. And especially for those people that are in political office, we know that when they are racist or sexist or homophobes or climate change deniers, that we have to get them out of uh, public office and, and get them out of those positions where they have power over people and can continue continue to expand uh, their racist and uh, ignorant, I'm going to call it ignorant rhetoric. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King said that racism is a sickness. And I think all of us, we have to be healers and even healers in our own community because we know that racism is not uh, limited to the uh, Anglo community because we in our Latino community have also always the subject to racism uh, because even in our own community, often we celebrate people who are light skin. Uh, I like to tell people when a, when a baby is born, they say, que lindo el niño está bien güerito. Tiene los ojos arcos, you know, uh, you know, you know, tiene el cabello rubio. They have light, scared, light, light, light uh, colored hair, light colored eyes. And we have to change that light colored skin to say when a baby is born, how beautiful that baby is because he's bien prieto. <laughs> that baby is, is really, really dark skin. That baby has uh, slanted eyes. That baby has high cheekbones has a, a Chato nose or an Aztec nose, whatever it may be, whatever tribe it is. But we have to celebrate our indigenous roots. And, and not not because I know we're all, we're, we're all mixed like I am. You know, my mother's family came from the European side. My dad's family came from Mexico. My grandparents came from Mexico on my dad's side. And so we're, we're, we're mixed, you know. But we have to learn how to celebrate our darkness and not our whiteness. You opened this by talking about the fact that the challenges Latinos face are the same challenges you said that our black and black sis brothers and sisters face. And how do we begin to have those conversations internally? You just mentioned the internal racism that exists within the Latino communities. How do we begin to break those preconceived opinions that institutionalize internal racism so that we can realize that juntos, black and brown are unstoppable? Well, I think we have to go back to the origins of racism. We know that racism was constructed to justify slavery. And that, of course, apply, applies to the indigenous people also because they were the first slaves. When the colonizers came, you know, they enslaved the indigenous people. And then, of course, when they brought the people in from Africa, they continued that enslavement. And so the racism really comes from that because it, the colonizers, it was a justification 
for the fact that they could get people to work for free or make them work for free or else they were murdered or enslaved, you know? So we have to realize that that's where that comes from, that it comes from slavery. And, you know, having people give up their their energy and, and their lives to make other people wealthy or to make other people comfortable and not themselves. And then that domination also, uh, it actually uh, goes over to women too. So women are dominated and women are supposed to work for free also. You you know, you cook and you clean and you do the house cleaning at the house and raise the children and not, and not get paid for it, but then not even get respected or recognized for what you do. So the separation of, of children from their families, that also comes from slavery. So we have to recognize what the origins of, and so we can explain to people, this is where all this, uh, this slavery mentality comes from. And we know that uh, this is something that we have to get rid of because it is a sickness and it infects all of our society. And so we have to think of ourselves as the healers. There's one other thing that is really important. And when I say this, I know some people are going to, they're going to sit back and say, is she telling the truth? And this is it. We are one human race. Our human race is homo sapiens. We don't have two human races or three, only one. And this is science. And our human race began in Africa, traveled across the planet. And that's when people got a a change of color of their eyes or the skin of their hair. But we all came from Africa. Africa is our motherland of all of us homo sapiens. So we have to remember that. And all of us are Africans of different shades and colors. And this is so important. And take this home to your dinner table with your parents, okay? And just remind them that we're we're just one human race. And we are all Africans of different shades and colors. And then we can say to the neo-Nazis, to the KKK, to the Proud Boys, whoever they are, get over it because you're all Africans, whether you like it or not, okay? So just get over it. So this is really important because if we can remember this, that we are one human race, and the only way that our human race survived on planet Earth is because we took care of each other. We protected each other. We Whatever resources we had, we shared with each other because we are the weakest of the primates, you know, the animals here on Earth. But we survived because we had intelligence and we, you know, protected our communities to make sure that we could survive. We should never use the word race unless it's attached to the word human, human race. Otherwise, we have a lot of different ethnic groups. We have a lot of different cultures. We have a lot of different nationalities, but only one human race. And this is so important. And, and, and we have to become, as I said a little while ago, the missionaries. We are the ones that have to go out and preach this gospel of love and humanity and brotherhood and sisterhood. And even if it makes people uncomfortable, that's okay. And even if they don't want to hear our message the first time that we, that we share that message with people, but it's okay. Voices is made possible by listeners like Tu. Please visit jolttx.org slash donate to help fuel the fight for progressive change in Texas. Now back to Voices. There is so many Latinos and Latinas that see themselves reflected in you and that have followed your story and your journey. 
and are now trying to grapple with how do they organize their communities? How do they take on, for example, voter suppression in Texas? How do they dismantle the criminal justice system that keeps incarcerating our friends and family? What is your advice to people, young folks who are coming up, who say, I don't even know how to get started, but I want to organize my community to drive forward change? Well, we know that in order to make these uh, policy changes that, that we're talking about, uh, we have to target those people that are in office that are making these these laws, these repressive laws, repressive laws to keep people from voting, uh, repressive laws to, uh, to give more money to the police, for instance, and, and, and make more laws that will uh, incarcerate people. So we have to go after, we have to target these people. We have to target these public officials and get them out of office. How do we do that? By voting, by registering people to vote, uh, you know, by going out there and recruiting other people to help us join in this justice movement. This is a justice movement, but we have to build it. And in Texas, there is no reason why people should not have the power in Texas and not the people that are in the power right now. People like Ted Cruz, you know, John Cornyn, you know, they do not represent they do not represent the positive things that the changes that we want to see made. We've got to get them out of office. And there is a way to do it that's a democratic way. It's a nonviolent way. But we have to do the work on the ground to make sure that we can register people to vote. And I know that it's not easy in Texas. I think they have made some, uh, uh, maybe some uh, provisions that make it easier. Uh, but like in California, when you get your driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. We've had mail-in ballots, I think, for forever. In Colorado, and I believe also the state of Nevada, everybody votes uh, by mail, you know? So, and in California, that definitely happened this last time around. But we've had mail-in ballots now for the last 10 years, I think, at least. So we have to change those laws in Texas so people can, can register to vote and the people can vote. And who's gonna do that work? I think we have them right here with us today. We are the ones that we have to be the change that we want to see. And the one thing I just want to say to all of you, remember that you've got the power to do it, okay? We have the power. It's in our hands and, and it's in our persons that we have the power to change it. And this is, of course, what we, what we had to tell the farm workers when we were organizing them. You know, people didn't have toilets in the fields. They didn't have rest periods. They were earning like 50 cents an hour. But the one thing that we had to convince the farm workers is nobody is going to change this for you. You have to do it for yourselves. And if you don't commit to make the changes, it's never going to happen. But the question is, how do people get started? Well, if we want to make that change, then find somebody that uh, that will, will go along with you and help you make the change. Well, when we started the Farm Workers Union, there was only three of us. It was Cesar Chavez, his wife, Helen Chavez, and myself. Then we recruited Caesar's brother, Richard. And then we recruited Caesar's cousin, Manuel. And then we recruited somebody else. And pretty soon we had we had a group. You know, we had a small group that started. And then we started recruiting more and more people. The one way that we organize, and we still do that in my foundation, is we had meetings in people's homes. And we talked to them about the issues. And my gosh, in Texas, you have so many issues that you can talk about. But then what you have to say, okay, do we want to solve this problem? And everybody says, yeah, okay, will you commit to have more meetings to make sure that we can solve the problem? And of course, people will say yes. And once people commit, then you can build this movement. 
So it, it, even it's a few people at a time, a few people at a time in every town, we can make this happen. In Texas, I know that especially the Latino community, my God, if the Latino community will rise up in Texas, we can change it. And I just want to just beg you, all of you, if you haven't been involved, ahora es cuando, now is the time. Because what happens in Texas affects us in California. In California, we have a wonderful governor. We have two-thirds Democratic majority in our state legislature. We have uh, our Speaker of the House is a Latino, Antonio Rendon, who came from a very poor family, by the way. And, and we have a huge Latino caucus in our state legislature, very progressive. So, so we have to depend on you guys in Texas, and I'll, I'll, t I'll give you three reasons why. Because there are three important bills right now in, in the U.S. Senate. Now, our two senators here, Alex Padilla, who's a Latino, and uh, Diane Feinstein, who's a woman, they're going to vote for these bills. But your guys over there in Texas, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn, I don't know. I don't think they're going to vote. And one of them, of course, is S-1. That's the name of the bill, Senate Bill 1. It's for the People Act, and that is to stop the voter suppression like they want to do in Texas and, and these other southern states. And that's a really important one. Not only that one, it also addresses the issue of uh, millionaires. Because what this, what this law does, it says that we, the public, can pay the campaigns so that some of you that are in this meeting today can run for office, even if you don't have a lot of money. It'll take the money out of politics. Then uh, the other one, of course, is immigration reform. And we know that Latinos, that is one of our top priorities that we want immigration reform. And then the third one, is, and I want you to write this one down, it's the Equal Rights Amendment. And what does that law do? Hey, it's gonna make equal rights for women as well. <laughs> women will have equal rights to men. How about that? I'm sure a lot of you thought, oh, we already have that, but we don't. If we get the US Senate to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, it will be in the Constitution of the United States. So last year in 2020, we celebrated the 100 years of women's suffrage and women getting the right, to, the right to vote. Well, guess what? Now we can say that we have to have equal rights for men and women, and it will be in the Constitution of the United States. The United States is only one of very few countries that have not ratified this amendment as, as part of our Constitution. So we can say a big old si se puede, it's time for that to happen. Because we know, in addition to racism, we still have a lot of machismo, not only in our Latino community, but everywhere in the world. And uh, women are still being treated as sex objects. And that has to be changed because as, we, as we're having this meeting today, a woman somewhere is getting beaten, raped, and murdered because she happens to be a woman. And we definitely have to change that. So, and also along with, you know, we have to put ethnic studies in all of our schools, starting with kindergarten, to teach people the real history of the United States, the contributions of our black community, our brown community, our immigrants uh, to building this country. We have to have women's studies and gender studies, okay? And when I talk about gender studies, this is another thing that we have to take up with our, our families is the issue of uh, support for our LGBTQ community. And I wanna share these words with you and also women's reproductive rights, women's right to abortion. Yeah, these are major, major issues. And the opposition, they use these cultural issues to divide us because they don't want people to come together because as long as they keep dividing us, they can hold the power, all right? And so I just want to quote the words of Benito Juarez, 
Benito Juarez said, el respeto al derecho ajeno es la paz. So how many children a woman wants to have or not have, that is her human right. A woman is the only one that can decide uh, what she wants to do with her body. And if somebody wants, falls in love with, lives with, or marries a person of the same sex, that is their human right. And we should not interfere with other people's human rights. So share that with your families, because we know we still have many of our friends and families that are poquito tapados, okay? <laughs> We're not quite illuminated yet. So we have to, you know, kind of shine that little flashlight into their brains and uh, and have those conversations with them. And even if at the first time that you bring it up, they're not comfortable with it, that's okay. We have to be like John Lewis and we have to create that good trouble, okay? Good trouble. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, you talked about how organizing started with commitments to fixing the problems. And I just want to thank you for your commitment and your courage um, to, to do this work. Um, I really appreciate that. And then also, you know, you talked about three major bills that need to be moved forward. You talked about SB1, voter suppression, ending voter suppression in America. You talked about... Um, rectifying the equal rights amendment, right? To make sure that it's in our constitution and equality once and for all. And then you talked about immigration reform. All of these are massive undertakings that our nation is grappling with right now. And I think that the key to moving this forward is public pressure, public support for these bills. And the majority of the public support will come from the Latino community. I mean, the demographic shift in this country is positioning the Latino electorate as an unstoppable political force. In Texas alone, Latinos are uniquely positioned to soon become the majority of the population. And you talked about how Texas is ground zero for a lot of these changes. So the battle has to start with us. The fight has to start with us, making sure that we are driving forward that change. Now, I want to switch over to you, Dolores, and talk a little bit about not the organizer, but just the woman. And I know that in, in seeing and watching your, your trajectory, as well as watching your biography, your film, Dolores, we learned that one of your hidden passions is dancing. And, you know, I believe you talked about how if you weren't, if you had not been organizing, you would have probably been a dancer. Can you talk to me about young Dolores coming up in a world where she saw injustices and became active? And what fuels your lifelong passion for this work? Well, knowing that we have the power to make these changes. And so, you know, I'm going to be 91 years old in eight days. That's amazing. April, April the 10th. And a lot of people say, well, why don't you retire? You know what? Because there's more people that we have to illuminate more people that we have to educate, more people that we have to be, get active. And so I, I have no plans of retiring. As long as the, the good Lord gives me the health and the energy to do this work, I want to continue. Uh, it's like a magic wand. Like you go, you can get this uh, organizing dust and you throw it at people and then they realize they have power and then they can forward and to change it. And I would love to go to Texas and, you know, get all of you to just join me and go through the state of Texas and just, you know, preach the, the gospel of justice to everybody so we can, but I can say, pardon, you know, because, you know, when I go to Texas, I get, I get like frustrated because a lot of people say, I remember last time I was there and somebody said, en esta casa no votamos. In this house, we don't vote. And I thought, what? Oh my God, you have to vote. Okay. And it's just not about voting. It's about 
uh, advocacy, like we're talking about these bills, like the Equal Rights Amendment and immigration reform. And, and then it's about holding these politicians accountable once they get elected. You know, so the, the, if we want to keep our democracy, that is what we have to do. It's like a football game. If you have one of the teams that doesn't show up, the team that shows up is going to win. And uh, uh, the people are standing up for us. If they don't show up, then we lose. So this is why it's so, so important that we do this work. And we know that we can have free college education for everybody. We can have free health care for everybody, just like they do in Scandinavia, in Europe, just like they do in Cuba, where everybody has free health care and free college education. These are things that we have to fight for. The United States is the richest country in the world. And there is no reason why we should not be able to access these resources for us instead of having them in the hands of the 10% of the corporations and the wealthy families that own 90% of the wealth. And about my dancing, okay? I want to say to everybody, please dance because it makes your legs strong. And when you get to be 91 years old like me, you can still walk around, okay? I, I'm sorry I wasn't able to, to be a dancer. I started dancing too late to be a profession, to be professional. But, you know, God knows what he wanted me to do. And so I have lived a very, very blessed life uh, by being able to go out there. And with the, the Dolores Huerta Foundation, we are still organizing poor people. We're doing vaccine clinics, food banks, youth programs, uh, suing the school districts for the expulsion of Latinos and African-American students. And so we're out there doing the movement work. And I just want to invite everybody to come and join us in our justice movement, okay? And you can do that by going to our website, uh, DoloresHuerta.org, or join DHF, joindhf.org. And by the way, we're on our way to Texas, okay? <laughs> we're going to be in Texas very, very soon, and we're going to start organizing, and we're going to be calling on you. Because remember this, it's the young people like yourselves you are the ones that have made the changes, you know, starting with the peace movement, the environmental movement, the LGBTQ movement. You are the ones, the uh, Emma Gonzalez and the people from Florida uh, who are, you know, uh, marching against the gun laws. Uh, Greta from Germany, you know, do, doing the stuff on climate change. So you are the ones that are going to make this happen. And you, you know what? You've got tools that we never had. You've got your cell phones and you've got your computers and you've got all of the social media platforms that you can organize people very, very quickly. And then, you know, again, we, but don't forget the, the, those one-on-ones because we have to educate people also. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, let's take it one step further and talk about the power of the vote, but also the power of running for office. Right. Yes, absolutely. There is so many Latinos and Latinas in this country that are talented and have ideas that will transform America. But oftentimes we shy away from politics. But that we come from families or communities or countries where politics are frowned upon. They're too dirty or or nasty. Right. What do you tell those people? Well, we, I just remember this. Uh, when we don't get involved in politics, it's because this is the way people have been raised. And people were doing this for self-protection. Because before, in places like Texas, if you got involved in politics, there, there would be repercussions. There would be punishments. So the people in power, they don't want people to get organized. Because when people come together and they run for political office, you have power. And the greedy and the powerful, they don't want the Latinos to have power. And so this is why they use all of these divisive ways to keep us divided. And they make people fearful of taking power. 
you know, of, of, of getting organized. That's why in Texas you have these right to work laws where it makes it harder for people to join a union because they don't want people to be organized. They want to keep that power. So we just have to remember that. So we, you know what? There's nothing standing in our way. But this historical oppression that we have, that people have, have been socialized uh, to stay away from politics, to stay away from, from make, making their voices heard because there were repercussions and people would get hurt. Well, those days are over. So this is why it's now, and we have to re-educate everybody, tell them, no tengan miedo. Okay, we need you. We need your voice. We need your work. We need your energy because together we have the power to change things. Exactly right. You know, um, I I am so in awe of the work that you've done um, throughout your career, and I'm so grateful to have leaders like you to look up to. Um, and and as you reflect back on all of the work that you've done, what is the legacy that you're leaving behind? Well, I hope that it's one of an organizer. I have been very very blessed in my life, and I want to just invite everybody to come on this path with me. Because uh, the, the journey to justice is a long one. And on that journey, uh, we will meet all kinds of wonderful people. And we will always meet people that aren't so nice, but that's okay. We, we can always learn from them also, whether it's a positive or negative, but we can learn from people like that. But don't let them stand in our way. Just go around them when they do get in the way. But it, it's an adventure that, that is so filled with blessings and benefits for all of us, because when we get involved in movement, we grow. And I know people have a lot of issues. You have issues at home, you have issues at school, and you sometimes think, well, I just don't have time to do movement work. But I'm going to give you a little uh, a little example from Michael Moore, the, the documentarian, the film documentarian. And uh, he says, when you wake up in the morning, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, and then you call your congressman, Okay. In this case, we're going to say you wash your face, you brush your teeth, and you're going to call your senator, okay? You're going to call. And if each one of us that is here today can call five or ten people that they know and ask them to call five or ten people that they know out of our meeting here today, we could probably probably get a couple of hundred either phone calls or emails to these two senators to tell them to vote on these bills, okay? S1 for the People Act to make sure that they will, will not be able to suppress the vote like they're trying to do in Texas and other places, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment for Women, and uh, then immigration reform. By the way, the website for the Equal Rights Amendment, this is really easy. It's eraes2021.org. E-R-A for Equal Rights Amendment, eraes2021.org to get more information on the Equal Rights Amendment campaign. But we can make it uh, happen, all of us working together. But just remember this. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, who's got the power? And I want you to say, we've got the power. And when I say, what kind of power? I want you to say, people power. Okay? Please, when you come together, do that with each other. Remind each other, you have got the power. Remember, Cesar Chavez only went to the eighth grade. But he was a genius always reading, you know, always educating himself, surrounding himself with people that he always said were smarter than him. Although that was pretty hard to do because he was such a, he was a genius in himself. But, you know, just remember that, that we've got the power and share that with other people, remind them that they have the power. And that power, we can use that in our democracy because we have to not only maintain it, but we also have to save it at this point. 
because we've got all these white power folks out there that are trying to destroy our democracy. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Dolores, for joining us today. Dolores Huerta, an iconic civil rights leader in American history. Thank you so much, Dolores. And I want to say a very happy birthday to you. I know it's April 10th. I want to be the first to say happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños y muchos, muchos, muchos más. This episode of Voices was recorded at our Jolt Action headquarters in Houston, Texas. We drop new episodes of Voices every other week on Wednesdays. If you like our content, please be sure to subscribe and share. Learn more about our mission to empower the Latinx community in Texas and find out how you can get involved at joltx.org. That's J-O-L-T-T-X dot O-R-G. 